All right, if you would, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We've just got two verses to look at, verses 12 and 13. It's on page 981 of your pew Bible. Or, of course, you can just look at it in your bulletin. I think it's there. I didn't check, but I'm sure it probably is. Uh, So, um, our sermon series is titled Growing with Joy. That is, as Christians, we're to grow, to mature. And um, though it can be a difficult process, it should be also something that we receive with great joy. Today's sermon is titled Sanctification 101, which implies what? That we're going back to the basics. Sanctification is a great work of God's grace in the lives of his children, whereby he makes us more and more like his divine son, Jesus Christ. It's a lifelong process wherein the Christian, because he loves Christ more and more, lives life with uh, less and less of sin in their lives. Do you remember Paul's words at the beginning of his letter in Philippians 1, 6? He wrote, and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. My hope this morning is that we would be more and more open to the wonderful work of sanctification that God has begun in our lives. And though this may be a difficult task, that we would embrace our role in becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Do you know this work of sanctification? Do you desire it? Do you pursue it more and more in your life? And if you do pursue sanctification, do you work at it in order to gain God's acceptance? Or do you work it out because you already have God's acceptance? Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word before us. Um, Let us find in it a truth that we can wrap our lives around. Um, May we find more and more of your grace and mercy to enable us to work out this salvation. We pray for this in this hour. Amen. Well, last week, Nate Burns and I were having our, our weekly discipleship time. Don't. Nate, you look weary. Don't worry. Uh, And one of the readings that we were studying had this word in it that needed defining. The the word um, is teleological. Now, it's, uh, I wouldn't be bringing this up if it wasn't germane to what we're doing. Uh, It's a really good word to know. It comes from the Greek word telos, which simply means end or purpose or goal. Based on that word is another word, teleology, and it's the philosophical study of nature that tries to describe things based upon their intended purposes. For instance, Aristotle famously claimed that an acorn's intrinsic telos was to become a fully grown oak tree. My friends, just as an acorn 
has within it all the makings of an oak tree in the future. So to the Christian has within him or her all the makings of the divine risen Lord Jesus Christ. God's purpose or tell us for his people is that we will one day become like the glorious Jesus Christ. God has begun this work in us and he will work it out to complete it one day. A little bit later, we have a new members class, and one of the readings in the, in the binder that we hand out is what we call the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism. Many of you know what that is, but for those who don't, the Westminster Shorter Catechism is a listing of theological questions with their answers. And the very first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, some of you will know, it's, the question is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the telos? for which we were created. And the answer, many of you know, is what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, is this what we see in our world today? People passionately living for God's glory with great joy. Is it not true that maybe uh, humanity has redefined uh, this question? What is the chief end of man? To glorify myself and have fun before I die. How do we get this way? The famous atheistic uh, philosopher Richard Dawkins thinks he has the answer. He writes about it in his influential book, The Selfish Gene. He argues that man is nothing more than an amalgamation of genetic code, code that does not have a designer or a creator. And he argues that these genes are selfish. The telos of our genes is survival of the fittest. He writes, we are survival machines, robot vehicles, blindly programmed to preserve the selfish molecules known as genes. We and all other animals are machines created by our own genes. And therefore, you know, our human genes tell us our purpose is to propagate itself as best they can. Now, you would think that Dawkins' reasoning would take him to its logical conclusion. Because we're wired for selfishness, Man shouldn't be found morally accountable for anything. I mean, just as lions aren't held accountable when a lion kills another lion, why should human beings be held accountable for killing other human beings? We are just selfish uh, genetic code after all. That would be where you think he would go. But he goes elsewhere. Dawkins argues against where his reasoning should have led. He says that though we are wired this way, we should strive to be better people morally. He wrote, if you wish, as I do, to build a society in which the individual operates generously and unselfishly towards a common goal, then you can expect little help from biological nature. Let us try to teach generosity and altruism because we are born selfish. Now, Christians, we agree that humanity is born selfish, but not for the same reasons. 
the, the biblical reason for why people are born selfish and why we need to teach our little kids uh, not to take and we have to teach them to share is what we call original sin. God made man in his image to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man was originally born, with, born sin-free with this great telos and was able to live it out. The problem is that first man was beguiled to believe his God-given telos just wasn't enough. As we saw last week, Adam reached for the glory that is really God's alone. And as a result, man's relationship with God was severed. Man stopped looking up to God for meaning and purpose in life. And all humanity, born out of Adam and Eve, now live with a corrupted nature turned in on itself. Now, the Bible is one big story of how God has graciously worked to fix that. Paul is telling us today in this brief passage that God is doing a work in his new people. God is remaking his people so that they can finally live the way that they were intended to live, alive to God, for his glory, with great joy. So the point we're going to see this morning is that because God has begun his good work of sanctification in us, we are to pursue this good purpose in our lives. As we look at that point, we're going to divide our time in two areas. One, we are to cooperate, and the other is we are to be encouraged. Because God has begun the good work of sanctification in us, we are to cooperate. Imagine you live in a house that really is just like in need of a total rehab. Some of you don't need to imagine too much. You live there. But imagine one day a work crew shows up with wonderful plans to rehab your home, plus all the permits, all the building materials, the crew to do it. They're going to do it in five weeks. And, and, and also there's, there's an anonymous family has provided all the funds to rehab your home. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? All right. I think there was a TV show kind of like that. All right. Um, but... Different from that TV show where they send you away and then you just come back and it's all done. Um, you know, imagine somebody comes to your house and says, we have, we're going to do this work for you. Let me ask you this. After approving the project, would you just sit back and watch the others do all the work? Or would you not roll up your sleeves and dive in and work out the plan as it was laid before you? My guess is that most of us would be so delighted in what was happening that we would jump in and help out. And when the project manager says, hey, would you mind uh, moving these materials into your new kitchen? I imagine you would grab some work gloves and do the work. Of course you would. Now, my friends, this is what verse 12 is all about. I know at first reading it can be confusing. Let's read it again, and then we'll address it. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, Paul loves these people, as you have always obeyed, he's encouraging them, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only uh, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right, there's an 800-pound gorilla in the room. Let's address it. Uh, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, many moderns get rubbed the wrong way when, they, when, we're, we're to when they're told that God is a God to, to tremble before. With fear, they insist, you know, God is a God of love, and, and I'm okay in his eyes, I think. You know, uh, I mean, I'm 75% better than my neighbors, and, um, and so I don't need to, trem to tremble. 
Yes, God is a God of love, but he also daily watches over his creation. And he sees people made in his image, tearing each other down, destroying the environment, living for selfish glory. God sees all that we are doing, and he doesn't grate on the curve. And let me ask you, do you not tremble when that police car pops up in your rearview mirror? (laughs) I mean, you don't even think you've done anything wrong, and yet your, your heart skips a beat, right? How much more so should those who do not have Christ tremble before a holy God who sees our every move? This is why the Bible says that the, that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, for the child of God, though, this fear isn't a terror. It's more like a reverent humility or awe before a powerful, loving God. See, when we ponder the extreme measure that God went to bring about our salvation, we should become reverent, full of awe, full of humility. We also need to address the words where he says, work out your salvation. You know, many people think that this is what Christianity is about. Work for your salvation. Simply buy into this Christianity deal, Uh, affirm these rules and regulations, um, try to live them out to your best, then God accepts you. And then you can feel good about yourself and then look down on your neighbors in judgment. That's what many people, most of our neighbors here in the East End, think that that's what Christianity is. It's about working for your salvation. But Paul does not say work for your salvation, does he? What does he say? there. He says, work out your salvation. The salvation you already have, work it out. Let us participate in the work of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. With a deep reverence and awe, join in the work that God has already begun in you, if you are in Christ. You know, far too many Christians um, think that our salvation is just something that's happened in the past. They'll say, you know, I got, I got saved 10 years ago at some event. But salvation isn't just a past reality. It's ongoing. It's present. And it certainly is future. We're presently being saved. And God has a great salvation awaiting us. The day when Christ returns to restore this world and people made in his image. Those who belong to Christ will, will, will arise in beautifully restored bodies and souls. Um, to perfection. See, that's God's telos for those who are in Christ. That is where he is taking you. You are now just kind of an acorn that's just kind of been, un, uh, that, uh, that is, is beginning to germinate. God is, God's purpose is nothing short of making us into little Christ. So if this is the teleological direction of our lives, let us, let us embrace this salvation. And not wait for that day until Christ returns to see any progress. Let us obey the call of Christ to take up our cross and follow him. Let us obey the call of Christ to to be disciples who make disciples. Let us desire holiness in our lives now because holiness is where God is taking us then. But it's not as easy as we think, right? There's some obstacles One obstacle is we think that 
we really don't need to change. We think that I'm accepted by God, therefore I don't need to change. And it is true, a Christian has been accepted by God. That is what Paul is referring to in the passage when he says, therefore. The therefore, at the beginning of this verse, points to stuff that's happened previously that he's been talking about. The therefore is that because God has freely pardoned you in Christ, because Christ was obedient uh, to, even to death, death on a cross, because God has now forgiven you in Christ and accepted and adopted you into his family, because of all that, work out your salvation. See, Paul points us to our acceptance. But we too can wrongly point to our acceptance and say, because I'm accepted, I do not need to change. Christians all around the globe, especially in America, succumb to thinking that because God loves them, they don't need to change. Go back to that home renovation image. You know, many Christians will allow God to, to come in and renovate a room or two. You know, uh, yeah, the living room and the kitchen, all right, that's where people come. And yeah, I want that to be all clean and look good. But renovate that room inside of me where I hold tightly to all those disappointments in the past? No, God, don't go in there. And stay out of that room in my life where I withdraw to gaze at all my stock holdings. And certainly don't come into that room where, like an episode from Hoarders, I keep my porn stacked to the ceiling. No, don't go in there. What are the rooms in your life where you're saying to God, don't go in there. I'm accepted. I don't need this room to be worked on. An obstacle that all Christians face is where we feel like we either don't need to change or we've changed enough. We say, I don't need to change everything because God loves me just the way I am. First off, God doesn't love you the way you are. No, God loves you in spite of the way you are. God loves you for who you are in Christ Jesus. What parent would look at their little toddler and say, don't you ever grow up, don't you ever mature? This is really appropriate for Paul here this morning. <laughs> Keep on pooping in your pants. Don't worry about those ABCs. Count. Who needs to count? Help others? No, don't worry about it. You can just steal all the stuff you want. That spaghetti all over your face? That's going to look real good when you're 35 at a job interview. No loving parent would think that way. Loving parents have in their mind what? A telos. A purpose. For their kids to grow and to mature, to learn to be independent, to be able to make wise decisions, to function as an adult. Now, if, if earthly parents operate this way, why do we not allow God to operate that way? God is a heavenly father who longs for us to grow and to mature. He's right to do so, to think this way. The message Paul has for this church in Philippi isn't God accepts you, therefore no change is necessary. No, Paul's message to us this morning is this. God accepts you 
Therefore, change is now possible. Another obstacle to change comes from another angle. You know, often Christians, sorry for these big theological terms, but you need to know them. Often Christians uh, confuse sanctification with justification. Now, justification is a legal term. It means that a judge has declared you not guilty. You've been declared innocent by a judge. Justification in the biblical sense is an act of God's grace wherein he pardons us from guilt. He removes any foul record that we have. And it's not based upon anything that we have done. We do not work for it. It comes to us because of the substitutionary work of his son, Jesus Christ. Our justification is in Jesus Christ. And so justification is a one-time event in the past for each believer. You may remember the day, or it may just be a season or period in your life where you entered into it not believing and you came out believing. But justification took place at some point in every believer's life. They said, I cannot stand before a holy God who I am. I need a substitute. Thank you, you sent me Jesus. And he is my justification. He is my righteousness. Now, the problem we can run into as Christians is we stop looking towards our justification as our source of acceptance from God, and we start looking at how we live our daily Christian life. We look at our sanctification, and we base how God loves us or cares for us on how well we're doing each and every day. So on the days where we, well, we get up and we have a little study in a quiet time and we say some prayers and we maybe give some change to some person who's asking for money, and we feel pretty good about ourselves. We feel like, well, we've earned something today. But then there's the other days where you fall short, you wake up late, you know, you cuss out the bus driver. I don't know. But, you know, and you're like, ah, where did this come from? And you, and you just say, well, at least tomorrow I can what? Make up for it. Christian, we cannot base our, 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 our lives before God um, and our acceptance on how we perform each and every day. This is not the gospel, It's a message from hell. It's a message from Satan himself. He wants you to believe that your relationship with God isn't based on the finished work of Jesus Christ who justified you purely by faith. Satan wants you to believe that, well, that might have happened in the past, but from now on, though, each and every day, you've got to work, 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 work to keep your acceptance with God. Some of you know what that's like, don't you? It's easy to fall into that trap. But it's not the gospel. It's a message the enemy wants to hear you to hear. He wants you to hear it for two reasons. See, if you live this way, there's two, only two possible outcomes. Both are negative. The first outcome is that you become defeated. See, you look to God's holy standards and you realize this is impossible. And you're like, I can't do this. Look at all these other Christians. They seem to got it all together, but I can't. I fail. I keep doing this over and over. I got this sin in my life that if anybody knew about it, boy, they, they would really ostracize me. And so you just you throw in the towel. And you feel like, like you're far from God, like he doesn't care for you. Why? Because you can't do it. You feel defeated. The other outcome is that you become prideful. 
Some of you are pretty good at doing Christian things on the outside and putting on a good front. You know how to pray well with big words, you know, and you got your Bible all marked, you know, and those kind of things. I'm not saying those are wrong things, but we can look towards these um, works of the Christian life and, and we can do them well. And we can go, by golly, I, I can do this. Why can't so-and-so be as good as I am? If only this church was made up with more people like me, we'd really go someplace. See the pride there? A prideful person is, is not living out the gospel. In either of these cases, the enemy wants us to base our exception upon how well we work out our salvation. But there's another way. It's the way of the gospel. Paul is saying, because you are already eternally accepted by God, and you cannot lose that, he loves you like a father, because of this acceptance that is yours, live out this salvation that is yours. Work it out in your life. How well you live as a Christian can never earn God's acceptance, nor can you lose God's acceptance. So Christian, why are you working for what you already have? <laughs> Instead, rest in the grace you already have because you already are smiled upon by God. Allow his love to motivate you to work out the salvation that is yours already. And when you fall short, and you will, when you fall short in your face while trying to honor Christ in your body, when you fail to control your tongue, when you fail to consider others more significant than yourselves, when you fail to honor your father or mother, when you fail and instead covet or cheat or gossip, where are you to look? Back to your justification. Look back to the cross and see how Christ has already won your acceptance. And in reverent humility, <laughs> confess your shortcomings. And then rise in the grace that you have and the acceptance that is eternally yours. And with great joy and rejoicing, put into practice uh, the good works of Christ in your life. Now, quickly, our second point. Because God has begun the good work of sanctification in us, we are to be encouraged. It wasn't too long ago, but some of you weren't here for it. But do you, do you remember when I taught you on the um, imperatives and indicatives? All right, we're learning more. Take notes. Imperatives and indicatives in Scripture. What, what's an imperative? An imperative is a command. Run for your life. That's a command, right? And um, it's a what to do. The Bible is full of what to do's, right? It's full of what to do. Some of us are really good at finding the what to do's. But there's also a lot of indicatives. Indicatives are the what is true statements. They're statements of fact or truth. The Bible is full of what is true statements. And here's what we must come to recognize. It's these gracious indicatives that God fills his Bible with that are to be our motivation um, for the imperative. Every time you see an imperative in the Bible, look around somewhere in there or it's implied. Every imperative in the Bible has a gracious in, um, indicative, something that is true that God has done for the believer. And because of that, that's to be our motivation for living out the what to do. All right, refresher course out of the way. We have the most amazing indicative 
in verse 13. Do we not? Look at it. First, Paul says, all right, you've got this acceptance from God. Work out your salvation. And now he says, what? For it is God who works in you to do two things, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Notice Paul didn't say continue to obey and and work out your salvation in reverent humility because if you don't, you're in trouble. And by the way, you're all alone. No, he doesn't say that. In verse 13, Paul's message was God accepts you, therefore change is now possible. And in verse 13, he says God works in you, therefore change is now certain. Does that encourage you? It's meant to. Paul says, understand what's going on with your salvation. God who began this work of salvation will complete it. Yes, there's this day in the future when Christ returns, but also God works in us now uh, for his good pleasure now. Thankfully, God doesn't wait until that day to begin his work in us, right? Though it's hard to be sanctified, it's, you know, it's good to mature, to get out of diapers, you know, to eat solid food, you know, to be able to pay your own bills, right? Thankfully, we can enjoy sanctification in the present because it is, God is at work in his people. Because of this, we are becoming more and more like Christ. Now, why would God work in his people? Because it's God's good pleasure. He's not up there in heaven going, if only these people of mine would get it right. It's not out of his frustration that he does this. It's out of his pleasure and his love for us. Maturity brings God joy. And it should bring us joy too. Some of you have been Christians for a short while, so you're just kind of learning this. But others of you here have been Christians for a while. So... um, You've come to see that this work of God in you is for your good, have you not? Though it can be painful to be stripped of pride or greed or selfishness or indifference. Once the work is begun or it's done by God, there's a great joy and satisfaction in becoming more like Christ. God desires this work of sanctification in our lives because it's good for us. God's not a distant, demanding God. He comes in us to work this out. This is a work that God does by dwelling in his people, by his Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that opens up our eyes, that allows us to see that, that, that our rooms need renovating. It's God through his Spirit who comes beside us and says, you know, I know. I see the room. I smell it. It's not that good, but I'm here with you. We're going to work this out. See, that's what Paul is saying. God works in our lives to will, to change so that our will will be like his will and to work in us. It's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Christian, you have all the proof of this you need, right? Do you not have a heart that hates for God. I'm not saying that there's days where you just like don't fall on your face, but overall the tenor of your life is you want to please God. You love him. You're thankful for his mercy towards you. You do. 
that old you who only thought about yourself all the time because that's all you could think about because God's spirit wasn't in you. That old you is dead. He's made you alive. Now you want to do what God wants in your life. And this is only because God is at work in you. He's given you a new telos, a new purpose. You familiar with those dot to dot, like pictures that little kids draw, right? You just see these dots on a page, and you're kind of, what is it, you know? And you're supposed to somehow uh, connect the dots and finish out the picture that's lying there on the paper. It could be a person or a tree or a boat or something like that. And so the child takes the crayon and begins moving around the paper with these jaggedy lines. I've done that before with, with my daughters. I've gotten a little old for that. But I remember one time, one of my daughters couldn't really see the picture that was there by just looking at the dots. and She didn't really kind of know where to begin taking her crayon. So I said, well, let's just simply start with this dot. And I took her hand and started moving from dot to dot, kind of slowly going and kind of stopping at a dot and figuring out the next one and going to the next one. And by the end of this process, yes, the crayon was a little blunt, but the picture was there. We were able to see it. My friends, that's what our sanctification is like. God working in us by his spirit, trying to, to go dot to dot with the issues of our lives, grabbing us so gently by, by our hand and moving us from one thing to the next so that the picture can be filled out. This is God in love moving us to the dot of pride. So that we could take that away. It might take a while. We might have our crayon on that one for a while. With each dot that he stops us at, he transforms us more and more into the character of Christ. And during the process, it can be hard. It can be full of suffering. We will definitely be on our knees in prayer. But after a while, the picture begins to emerge. We are becoming more and more like Christ. This is God's work in us. He's a tender father. The acceptance has been done. The justification of, is secure. We now have great freedom as his children to run with this, to work out our salvation. This is the good work that God has begun in us. May we see it. May we delight in it. May it be encouragement for our souls. And does it not cause us to bow down in reverent humility? Does it not call us to newness of life, filled with the Spirit, pursuing God's purposes in our lives? What is our God-given tell us? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Praise God that in Christ Jesus, this is now true for us.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father, that our acceptance is abounding and secure, and that out of this acceptance, we now see that you have plans for your people, not to leave us where we are, not to leave us immature and, and with sin-stained and full of uh, hopelessness, but rather to give us hope, to encourage us, to, to work in us, to will and to work that we might become more like Christ. I pray for Grace Church that we would embrace this as a people, uh, that we would live this out, um, that you would have your way with us. Um, we pray this in the name of our Savior. Amen.